Um, so Good morning, brothers and sisters. We'd like to get started. It's good to be here. Feels like coming home. Can we turn to Genesis chapter 1? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then if we could turn to First Kings chapter four. First Kings chapter four. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. 都吃喝快乐。所罗门同管诸国，从大河到非利士地，直到埃及的边界。所罗门在世的日子，这些国都进贡服侍他。And then if we could turn to John chapter ten.我们再翻到约翰福音第十章。John chapter ten，and verse the second part of the verse. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let us bow with a word of prayer. Lord, how we thank you that every week we can come to remember you at your table. Lord, we can remember you because you remembered us first. Lord, thank you that you were willing to offer up your life as a ransom for our uh, our sins. Thank you for delivering us from death, delivering us from sin. And Lord, but we thank you that again we have the opportunity to come before your word. Lord, we ask that you speak to us 
from your own word. What is it that you want to speak to your church at this time? So we entrust this time into your hands. But we ask for your anointing for the speaking and the translating and the hearing. We do ask this in Jesus' precious name. As I understand, you've been considering on this matter of having life and having it abundantly. And this morning, I uh, had a word that the Lord uh, put in my heart. And actually, this has been a word that's been in my heart for the last few months. And that is to consider the exodus from of the people of Israel and their journey from Egypt to Canaan and how it relates to God's eternal purpose. How it serves as a picture for us to learn many lessons from. And before we get to that, we have to return to the beginning. We read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that God created man in his own image. But the question is, why did he create man? What is the purpose of man? What is the purpose of our lives? And we would like to consider this matter. But I think God already explained it in Genesis chapter 1. As a matter of fact, the verse right next to that verse explains it. Because in verse 28 says, God blessed him and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So from this you can see a few things. First, that God wanted there to be life and life abundant here on this earth. They needed to be fruitful and multiply. Life was to fill every corner of this earth. The second thing, you see that man is to rule over this earth. So on the one hand, you see life. On the other hand, you see uh, what is man supposed to do. Life speaks of what he ought to be. But service speaks of what he should do. So on the one hand, you see sonship. On the other hand, you see kingship. And you know that this is God's purpose for man. This is what God wanted from the beginning. Now, how do we see that? 
Now the first thing that it says is be fruitful and multiply. Now here it was not just that Adam and Eve were to have life. But they needed to be fruitful and multiply. Now today there's going to be a wedding shower. We see Leon and we see Lillian. And they're ready to enter into marriage. But brothers and sisters, behind it, there was many, many years of development. The little Leon needed to grow up. The little Lillian needed to grow up. They needed to mature. It talks about the growth of life. It talks about that they needed to start to become responsible. When they were younger, my kids are a great example. Every morning we have to wake them up. Not just once, twice, three times. And then they wake up 10 minutes before they have to get to school. But this uh, morning we had some young people stay with us. And then uh, one of the brothers said, Have you been up for a long time? Said, Yes, that's the life of a parent. Because what is a sign of maturity? Is that life is not just lived for oneself. Now your life is starting to live for others. Now as Leon and Lily enter into marriage, maybe one day they will have children. Now when they were younger, maybe on Saturdays they could sleep in. But then one day when they have a little baby, they have to wake up every two hours to feed the little one. And then um, the baby is going to ask, not ask for permission when they can wake you up. I always tell people at baby showers that the first week after the baby is born is going to be the worst week of your life. The first three months of the baby's life is going to be the worst three months of your life. But now you see, this was God's plan from the beginning. So when it says be fruitful and multiply, how can there be life that is multiplied? There is a process. There's a process of growth. There's a process of maturity. And once that life is mature, then that life needs to multiply. And then you start to discover that these parents now don't just live for themselves. They have to live for their kids. They have to feed them. Now when they're younger, they just have to worry about feeding them physically. 
but then as they become teenagers, now both parents have many sleepless nights. Because you don't know what they are doing. You don't know what they're going to become. So brothers and sisters, here the Lord already gives us a hint of what is it that He's doing. But then it goes on. Because he is to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing. Now this speaks about the other aspect of that, that life. Now we already said that life no longer is for themselves. Now they'll discover that they have to start taking care of their kids. But not just their kids. There are others in society that need to take care of as well. There are the fish that need to be taken care of. The birds of the air that need to be taken care of. And then all the living creatures need to be taken care of. So brothers and sisters, you see life, and you see service. But we thank God. Because God already made the provision for God is a God of love. He gave us a spark of that. He gave our emotion. God is a God of will. And he gives us free choice. So that becomes our soul. But not only that. Paul tells us that we are made up of the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now our spirit allows us to be able to commune with God. So what was God's desire from the beginning? He placed a few trees in the Garden of Eden. Now there was a tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the fruit trees. God didn't say it explicitly. But his desire was that we partake of that tree of life. Because as we partook of that tree of life, that life was the life of God himself. It tells, then it tells us that man would be willing to yield his spirit to the Holy Spirit. He, he will learn to live a dependent life. Now as that life of God dwell in the life of man, that life of God would grow in us. The nature of that life will be conformed, we would be conformed to that life. Think about it. Now, as man began to become fruitful and multiply, now the love of God, the patience of God, the gentleness of God, the self control, the the fruits of the Spirit described by Paul. 
Now that will become part of what man wants. Now as man began to become fruitful and multiply, every corner of this world you would see men and women that trusted God. Dependent on Him. That manifested who He was. Now as the as man began to become fruitful and multiplied, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. In Psalm 8, it says, How majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 talks about God's creation and God's plan. So, brothers and sisters, this was God's plan from the beginning. Because in the middle of that verse, there's a phrase that says subdue it. It says fill the earth and subdue it. Why is that significant? Because somehow that earth was lost at one point. Because Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 said the earth became formless and void. And darkness filled the earth. Brothers and sisters, darkness is over the surface of the earth because of the great rebellion in the universe. But now through man, God was going to restore and recover the lost territory. Think about this. The whole earth was filled with darkness. But brothers and sisters, we thank the Lord. John said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So it tells us this. As, as man became dependent on God, as he was filled with his life, now that life is light. Now as man began to be fruitful and multiply on this whole earth, this whole earth will be filled with light, filled with glory. Now brothers and sisters, now what do people see? People see heaven on earth. They don't need to go to heaven to see heaven. They could see heaven on earth. Earth is a reflection of heaven. Brothers and sisters, they could just go and see all of these wonderful people. These wonderful families. And then they will, they will say, wow, this is the glory of God. This was God's plan from the beginning. As man lived dependently on God, he would know how to rule this earth. And then the glory of God will fill this earth. And then the Lord will defeat the enemy by saying, look at what, what man is able to do. But unfortunately, we know that man partook of the wrong tree. Now we know the tree of life was the fruit for the spirit of man. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit was fruit for, our, for the soul. 
但分别善恶树的果子乃是我们魂的食物。So when man partook of that tree,所以当人取用这个果子,man decided that he wanted to feed his soul, not his spirit.那就是讲到人要来喂饱自己的魂。Man decided that he could live apart from God.那人也是说我可以活不依靠神而活。He could live his own life.他可以活自己的生命。Because Satan said, you will be like God. Yes, on the one hand, it's true. But you see what has become of man as man has made his own choices. So in Genesis chapter 3, men fell into sin. And in Genesis chapter 6, man fell into the flesh. What is the flesh? The flesh is the corrupted body and soul. So when you see a man, what you see is the flesh. You see the manifestation of his soul and his body without God. Now man is driven by his impulses. Now Today there is a over 50% divorce rate. And the number one reason is infidelity. Man cannot help himself. It is said that 20% of all men have committed adultery. Or have an ex- uh, uh, and 10% of women have extramarital affairs. Man cannot help himself. You, you will listen to an ad on uh, uh, on betting online. At the very end, they'll say, if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLING. Man cannot help himself. Man is flesh. Now the body is in control. The spirit was supposed to be in control. But now the body is in control. Whatever the body wants to do with us. Man cannot help himself. You're supposed to be able to tell yourself to go to sleep. But I think over 20% of the population has some form of insomnia. We can no longer control ourselves. We know that eating ice cream is bad. But we cannot help ourselves. We cannot just stop at one scoop. We have to eat the whole carton. I speak from experience. God regretted creating man. said man is but flesh. And that's why you had the flood. It flooded the whole earth of that time. But not only that, Genesis 11. There was the Tower of Babel. Now man fell into the world. The whole world rose up to rebel against God. So what has happened? Darkness has filled the earth again. 
Brothers and sisters, what a tragedy. Think about it. Darkness is over the surface of the earth even today. In the last century, we had two world wars. Millions and millions of people die. We still have wars today. We see wars at work. We see wars at home. There is war. Brothers and sisters, darkness has filled the earth again. But as if God's plan was frustrated. But we thank God. Because in Genesis 12, God called a man by the name of Abraham. And then Abraham had a son Isaac. And Isaac had a son Jacob. So now God called a man, uh, a first Hebrew. He came out, he came out of worshiping idols. To come and know the living God. Now God called an individual Abraham. But not just an individual. But also a family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And not just a family, but also a nation, the nation of Israel. And so what was God doing in the Old Testament? Now the Old Testament is always a picture. Because in the New Testament is the reality. Now through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through their story, God wanted to show us once again what His plan was. He, he did not give up. And so God uh, uh, called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, uh, we know the story of Jacob, of his 12 sons, and then he loved his son Joseph, and his brothers were jealous of him. They sold him to Egypt. On the one hand, uh, it was very tragic, but on the other hand, through Joseph, uh, the nation of Israel was preserved. Because it was a great famine, remember? And then the whole family had to go down to Egypt. And then of course it was a wonderful story of how these brothers rejected their brother. But, but then they were reconciled. Well, of course, this is a story of how the people of Israel sold out the Lord Jesus. And one day they will be reconciled. But the Bible tells us that after 400 years, the Pharaoh forgot about Joseph. And now started to put them to work. Now we always think that, oh, they just became slaves. But we actually forget that in the beginning of the book of Exodus, it says that Israel became a mighty nation. Now Egypt was not just any ordinary nation. 
Many call him the cradle of civilization. Because of the river Nile. Because it would overflow very many times throughout the year. It produced very fertile soil. And then it was great for planting. So you remember the people of Israel when they came, uh, uh, Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen. Now if you look at uh, the the uh, look at Egypt, it reminds you of the letter Y. Because on near the Mediterranean up north, there are the tributaries from the Nile. So you see that they call it the Nile Delta. If you look at a satellite image, it's all green. So it's like a, a tree. Now, that top of the tree, the most fertile part, that was the land that was given to the people of Israel. So that's why they developed. And they were the blessed descendants of Jacob. And then they were able to learn all that there was to learn in Egypt. Now because they were so developed, they were um, uh, developed in astronomy. Now, if you look at the pyramids in Egypt, they're perfectly aligned north, east, west, south. Scholars will tell us that whoever designed the pyramids must have known differential geometry. Uh, but not only that, they needed to know the alignment of the stars. Because the compass actually had not been invented yet. The Chinese claimed that they invented the compass, I think in 1100. But thousands of years before that, they were already building these pyramids. The Egyptians also gave us paper. Because the Nile is full of papyrus. They also invented hieroglyphics. It's like the writing. writing. So um, they were very advanced. They gave us the chair. So you have to thank the Egyptians for sitting on a chair comfortably this time. They also invented the flip-flop. If you go to the Egyptian museum, you'll see these flip-flops that are thousands of years old. So when you're comfortable at the beach with on your flip-flops, you have to thank the Egyptians. But according to Exodus, the, the Egyptians are still to feel threatened by the people of Israel. 
埃及人却开始惧怕以色列人, because they were becoming a mighty nation. So before I continue, let me take a sidestep. Now during this period of time, 在这段时间, we know there was a story of Moses. Now remember, um, because this Pharaoh felt threatened. They wanted to kill all of the little babies. And we know how Moses was preserved in that basket. And then he was taken by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, if you were to look at Moses' life, According to Acts chapter 7, Stephen tells us that Moses' life was 120 years. Now, it can be divided into three parts of 40 years each. The first 40 years Moses spent in the palace and learning all that there was to learn in Egypt. But because he killed an Egyptian, now Pharaoh was very angry at him. He fell, fled to the Midian desert for the second 40 years of his life. And all he did there was shepherd some dumb sheep. And those sheep didn't even belong to him, belonged to his father-in-law. But then the last 40 years, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt to the edge of Canaan. Now, if you were to ask Moses how he would describe the three phases of his life, he will tell you that the first 40 years, he will say, I am something. And then the second 40 years, he will tell you, I am nothing. And then the third 40 years, he's going to tell you, God is everything. Now, brothers, this is why did God bring Moses through these three phases? Because these are three phases that the people of Israel also needed to go needed to go through. Now, God could have kept the people of Israel in Egypt. Now we know many hundred years later. They were deported, the Jews were deported to Babylon. The southern two tribes were deported to the to Babylon. Now there, there were probably two million people. And we know that the story of uh, described in Ezra that Cyrus told them they could come back. But only 50,000 came back. Why is that? Because they were very successful in Babylon. They used to be great uh, farmers, right? Uh, as Pharaoh, as when they entered into Egypt. But they became the best businessmen in Babylon. Even until today, they own a third of the world's riches. Think of all the top companies. Google, Google, Facebook, DreamWorks. 
Goldman Sachs, sorry. Gao Sheng. So all of these are were founded by Jewish people. They're truly the blessed descendants of Jacob. They have all the blessings of earth. But we should, we should thank the Lord because we have the heavenly blessings. It's much better. But think about it. If they stayed in Egypt, they could have become a mighty nation. They could have become something. But God had a deeper purpose for that. Because God's purpose was in Canaan. It was never in Egypt. So brothers and sisters, God called them out. Because he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now they, they were in Egypt. They just needed to look to the Nile. They didn't need to look to heaven. They could live their life however they wanted. But God had a deeper purpose. God wanted to call them. So then remember, God brought them out. Now the first thing that happened was the tenth plague. And remember the story of the, of the lamb. And how the blood was applied to the lintels and the doorposts of the door. And God passed over those that had the blood. So it speaks of them being saved. They were delivered from death. The Egyptians were not spared. But because of the blood of the Lamb, the people of Israel were spared. But we sometimes forget the other aspect of that story. Because on the one hand, when they killed that lamb, the blood needed to be applied to the door. But God commanded them to eat of the lamb as well. That spoke of that, that life that they needed to Brothers and sisters, in New Testament terms, not only do our sins need to be forgiven, but God, the Lord has given us His life. And then we need to eat of Him and drink of Him. And realize that apart from Him, we can do nothing. So the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Now, when we were just born, my mom told me I was turned upside down and spanked by the doctor. Because I needed to cry and take in that first breath of air. So the Lord told Nicodemus, you, you hear the wind, uh, you hear the wind blowing, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. That word wind is the word pneuma. P-N-U-M-A. And it's the same word as the word spirit. 
So the word wind or the word or breath is the same word as spirit. So you have to be born again. You have to breathe of the Holy Spirit. But brothers, it was not enough for the people who were just to be born again. But now you see this uh, God did not allow the people of Israel just to stay in Egypt. There they could say, I am something. But now as they went to the Sinai desert, previously they could say, I depend on myself. But now God wanted to take him to the Sinai Peninsula. Now you started to see life not needed to start to grow. Now, uh, it's not sufficient. Um, uh, um, so previously they depend on themselves. Now they needed to look to heaven. They needed to live by faith. They needed to depend on the manna from heaven. They needed the quail that God was providing. They needed to look to the Lord for there to be water to drink. Now they needed to live a life of faith. Now previously they could say I am something. But now God is bringing them to a place where I am nothing. And then as they went to the 42 stations, they went to the process of growth. Now you see that story we talked about earlier, that that life needed to grow up. Now God took them through 42 stations. And these 42 stations can be divided into three uh three parts of 14 stations each. Now, in the Bible, the number 14 speaks about death. It speaks about the cross. Because on the 14th day was the day of Passover. Our Lord Jesus died on the 14th day of the first month. So this work this work of this process of growth needs the work of the cross. Now it can be divided into three parts. Now we are reminded that in the Gospel of Matthew. Now Matthew speaks about our Lord as a king. Now there the Bible says Jesus this Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What kind of king was our Lord? On the one hand, he was the son of David. The son of David was Solomon. That's why the Lord said, Behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. Here is someone even wiser than Solomon. That's why the Gospel of Matthew is all 60% in red. But he's also the son of Abraham, which was Isaac. 
He was the one that was willing to go to the altar. So the Lord said, Behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. So we know uh, it speaks of the cross. So our Lord was a different type of king. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. So that's why in Matthew 1, and when it describes the genealogy of our Lord Jesus, said from Abraham to David was 14 generations. Then from David to the deportation to Babylon was 14 generations. And then from the deportation to uh, to Babylon to Messiah, 14 generations. It's, it's 42 generations. That you see the work of the cross. And what do you have at the end of the 42 generations? The Messiah is born. Christ is born. So brothers and sisters, what's the result at the end of the 42 stations? That we no longer just have life, but that life of Christ is growing in us. There is the fullness of His life. So Sinai speaks about sonship. Speaks about the process of growth. Now, the first 14 stations. At the 14th station, they had come to a place called Rithma or Kadesh. Now, Kadesh is at the edge of the land of Canaan. But brothers and sisters, remember they, that Moses sent in spies? They said, yes, they came back and said, yes, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back a huge cluster of grapes that two men needed to carry. But on the other hand, they said, oh, they're full of giants. They're going to eat us alive. The only one that said, no, 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 we should go in was Caleb and Joshua. What does this tell us? We know that Canaan is the land flowing with milk and honey. It speaks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. But brothers and sisters, the older generation, the old man, is not able to inherit the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the first 14, gen the first 14 stations, it tells you that we are mostly the old man. What we manifest is the old man. We complain that there is no water. We complain there is no food. We complain about the fact that it was much better in Egypt. You see the old man. So what did God do? Even though they were at the edge of the of Canaan, God said, none of you older generation will be able to enter in. So they started to wander in the wilderness. For 38 years. Until all the older generation died. Including Miriam. 
只要包括米利安包括亚伦亚伦也包括摩西只有那新人才可以进去所以我们看到在第三个十四站 it speaks about the maturity of the new man. It speaks about uh, the, that, that life uh, growing to maturity. So what is that middle 14th generation? Is the process of the exchange of the new man and the old. So brothers, it's a process of growth. It's not going to happen overnight. But sometimes we have to learn the lessons over and over and over again. In reality, they could have just taken two years to get to the land of Canaan. But it took them an extra 38 years. Aren't we slow to learn the lessons that we need to learn? Now, amongst us 42 stations, there were two key stations. One was Station 11, and that's Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai is where God came to meet them. Now, they were afraid because that mountain was, was like a consuming fire to the people of Israel. Because they realized they were sinners. Now, God descended upon that mountain. Now, for the first time in the human history, God himself came to this earth to appear to uh, the whole nation of Israel. Now, the people of Israel came to before the presence of God. But why were they not struck dead? Because of the shape of the, the mountain. There was a huge rock that stood between the top of the mountain and the plain that the people of Israel were. So the people of Israel could not see the top of the mountain where the glory of God was. was because there was a huge rock that blocked that light. That rock was a mediator between man and God. So the glory, what they saw was the reflected glory of God. So brothers, this Mount Sinai speaks about justification by faith. We are justified because of our Lord Jesus. We are not struck dead because of our Lord Jesus. He is our mediator. This is justification by faith. But then if you count 11 stations backward, on the 32nd station was Kadesh. I already mentioned, Kadesh means holiness. Now at the 14th station, they already came to that station. 
Because in God's heart, God wanted man to be holy. It's not enough just to have the life of Christ. But that life has a manifestation. It should manifest a holy life. Brothers and sisters, when we are saved, we have to have a testimony. When people see us, they realize we're different. Your language is different. Everybody else curses, but you don't curse. When people come into our homes, they see the husband loves the wife. The wife submits to the husband. The children obey the parents. Like, wow, there's something different about your living. I want what you have. There is glory there. There is manifestation of life there. I see in the world there is fighting. But now I see like heaven on earth in your own home. Now, brothers and sisters, um, how often do we hear that some homes are just like hell? Kids don't want to come home because they feel like home is just like hell. There is fighting in, in their school, but they, when they come home, there's war as well. What is our testimony? That there is heaven. There is holiness. This family is apart. Now, brothers, is that is holiness. So, Kadesh speaks about sanctification by faith. So now you see the process of growth. And finally, glorification by faith. Now that's going to happen in uh, the land of Canaan. Now what is glory? Remember the Lord Jesus when he was on Mount of Transfiguration? The Bible says his face shone like the sun. Now the the life was so rich that it burst forth and it was seen on his face. Now we know that uh, we are spirit, soul and body, right? Now the spirit the salvation of the spirit happens in an instant. When we believe in the Lord Jesus, we have eternal life. But then, the salvation of our body. Paul tells us, in a twinkling of an eye, the uh, perishable will take on the imperishable. That also happens in an instant. But then, the salvation of the soul. That's what's going to take our lifetime. So you have justification by faith, salvation of the Spirit, sanctification of uh, 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 salvation of our soul, we are being sanctified, and then glorification by faith. 
the salvation of our bodies. Brothers and sisters, it's not just a body. Because there is glory when the character of Christ is formed in us. So now you see the process of growth. So brothers and sisters, in the Sinai Peninsula, you see sonship. But it was not enough. They needed to enter into the land of Canaan. And once they conquered the land of Canaan, later on God revealed Jerusalem to David. You not just have sonship, but you also have kingship. Sometimes you wonder, what does it mean when the Lord says, you will reign with me? What does it mean when we sit on the Lord's throne? Now we understand other things, but reigning seems a little bit hard to understand. But brothers and sisters, of course we know the Lord was the great example. But I think another example is David. He was a king after God's own heart. And he told Saul and others when he was going to face Goliath. He said, when I shepherded sheep when I was young, um, the lion would come and the bear would come. And I would go fight them. I mean, it's just a few dumb sheep, right? But David was willing to lay down his life for his sheep. He didn't care about his own life. He saw this sheep more important than himself. When he was going to face Goliath, David was not afraid of Goliath. He didn't care if he died or not. He loved the people of God. So this was the heart of David. He took in a bunch of rejects of the world. And he fled with them. Eventually they became the mighty men of David. Mighty men of God. And then they were able to serve with David as he was enthroned. But now you see a king after God's own heart. The Lord said the Gentiles rule it over them. Gentiles rule it over them. But amongst you it's not this way. If you are to be first, you have to be the servant of all. This was a king after God's own heart. Now, brothers, this is what is kingship. Kingship is to take care of those that the Lord has given to us. Our children, our spouses, maybe our parents, our brothers and sisters, are we willing to lay down our life for them? It's going to be costly. And it's sometimes not easy. It's actually oftentimes not easy. 
So yesterday there was a we went to visit a brother and sister's house. And there was a meeting there, probably uh, 60 people. They just moved there six months ago. And the reason why they moved there. Now it's a very big house. Very nice house, actually. But six months ago, they were deciding whether to buy this house. Because they said, we're just a family of four. For themselves, they, they could just get a much smaller house. But somehow they felt compelled in their heart so that this house could be used for the Lord's sake. There's a meeting now at their house every Lord's Day. Now think about it. For themselves, they could get a small house. Then they can go somewhere else to meet. But now the meeting is at their house. So now, they could spend their money on themselves. But now they spend all this extra money, supposedly. Now when people come to meet at their house, they all have a good time. But once brothers and sisters leave, it may take them three days to clean up the house. Right? So why should they spend their money? Why should they spend their time? They're laying down their lives. And for us that went yesterday, we were blessed. We felt like it was heaven on earth as we gathered together. But there was a sacrifice. In the third 14 stations, in the third 14 stations, there is a, a stop in, called Edom, and near Edom. Now, uh, Moses at Kadesh went to the Edomite and said, Hey, can we go by you, uh, go through you on the king's highway? Eden said no. So they had to go around Eden. Now, Edom means red, right? It's brother of Jacob. Now, there's a city there called Petra. It's a very famous, uh, 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 beautiful city today. It's a city carved out of rock. It's red rock. Some movies have been filmed there. But the significance of that city is this. It's actually a hidden city. It, you cannot find it just by looking at it from the outside. But it's actually made up of very high, tall uh, hills and rocks. It is hidden. But it's very tall. Now in Obadiah, the Bible describes, uh, let's read in Obadiah chapter 1. Now in Obadiah chapter 
Obadiah chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, to say in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Verse 3 and 4. Brothers and sisters, Obadiah talks about the arrogance or the pride of man. One of the things you'll discover if you go to Egypt is that the pharaohs love to build these huge statues of themselves. Actually, it reminds you of Nebuchadnezzar too. Remember, he built a huge golden statue and everybody worshipped him. And then actually later on in the Roman Empire, Nero also built a huge statue called the Colossus. And the famous Colosseum is actually named after the Colossus because it was right next to it. All those statues should remind you of the story of Edom. Brothers, whether we realize or not, all of us have this huge statue in each one of us. Somehow we want to be the center. We feel we're pretty good. We feel we are important. But somehow this is also hidden. There's a hidden love for oneself. But what is the biggest enemy of God's work? Now, the Philistines, they went from Egypt to Canaan as well. They took a shortcut. They went along the shore of the Mediterranean to Canaan. But God did not allow the people of Israel to do that. They needed to cross two bodies of water. The first was the Red Sea. Because on the one hand, the world was too big in their hearts. They needed to leave the world behind. But then the people of Israel went through a second body of water. That is the Jordan. How are we to enter into the unsearchable riches of Christ? The self needs to die. Brothers, and isn't that the center crux of everything? We all think we're too important. Now, I always remember my father used to say that humility is not looking down on yourself. Humility is not looking at yourself. 
Brothers and sisters, we all love ourselves. That becomes a problem. So we love ourselves more than our spouses. So we always want to be right. As if we always want to one-up them. When we are in the brothers' meeting, we think our opinion is better than other brothers. But brothers and sisters, are we willing to lay down ourselves? The Lord Jesus says, if a grain, unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears more, much fruit. Brothers and sisters, if we keep ourselves, that's it. But if that life is willing to be laid down, it bears much fruit. That brother and sister that opened up their home, they were willing to lay down their lives. They were not looking at their circumstance. Oh, we have to clean up for three days. Oh, how come no one's helping us? But they were willing to lay down their lives. And then they discover that the life within actually is a life of service. Based on our own self, our own life, we are very limited. We are not able to love. We are not able to serve. But then we finally discovered the life of Christ is in us. Now that life is able to overcome. That life is able to transcend. So brothers and sisters, the exchange of that life, the old to the new. So now life is no longer just self-centered. But now we put others first. That's the heart of a king. Like David. So now you see, you see sonship, you see life, and you see service. Now, the disciples ask the Lord, what is going to be the sign of your return? And the Lord said, be ready. And in Matthew chapter 25, the Lord gives two examples, two parables. One's the parable of the ten virgins. One's the parable of the talents. The parable of the ten virgins speaks about life. How much of his life do we have? The parable of the talents speaks about have we been faithful with the gifts the Lord has given us? To serve brothers and sisters. Life. And service. This is what the Lord is looking for when He comes back. We don't have time to go too much into detail. But think about our own, our, Lord, our Lord's own life. The first 30 years He grew up as a tender shoot. And then for three years He served the disciples and those who were sick. And then on Mount of Transfiguration he could have ascended. Because he was 
fully satisfied the will of God. Now he was talking to Elijah and Moses about his exit. Now, if he had ascended at that moment, there would be a man in glory. But no, he descended from the mountain. He set his face towards Jerusalem. Not only so that he would receive glory. He would bring many sons to glory. He gave us his life. On the cross, out of his side came forth water and blood. Not just forgiveness of sins, but he gave us his life. So brothers and sisters, so that we could be born again. We could go through the process of growth. We could become sons. We could become kings. So now in this world, not just Judea, but Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And in every corner now of this earth, there are individuals that live a life dependent on the Lord. There are families that are formed. That their homes are like heaven on earth. There is a lampstand in each city. As the church gathers together, brothers and sisters love one another. They wash one another's feet. They're willing to lay down their lives. Now you see light is starting to form. Now there is, now the, there, the, the neighborhoods can see light. Slowly, this lost territory is being won back. One day the Lord Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to reign on this earth. For a thousand years. And those who overcome can reign with him. We're almost done. We read in 1 Kings chapter 4. Now we know the people of Israel went from slavery in Egypt to sonship, In First Kings chapter four verse twenty, it says that Judah and Israel filled that land. They were as numerous as the sand of the seashore. Now, at least in that piece of land called Canaan, they were fruitful and multiplied. They filled the earth. The twelve tribes, they, they, they um, possessed that land. Now there was a people that put God first. The, the temple was there. The footstool of God was there. The presence of God was there. And then it's described there that the Shekinah glory filled the temple. And then the next verse says that Solomon was on the throne. And it talked about all the territory that he reigned. You see life and life abundant in that land. This is all wonderful picture. One day the Lord is going to be on the throne. Behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. And those around him will reign with him. 
Full of life. Full of glory. The whole earth will be filled with his glory. And then finally in the end, New Jerusalem will come down. In the new heaven and new earth. I ask you a question. When you look at New Jerusalem, is that in heaven or is that on earth? I don't know if you can tell the difference. But you see the reality of heaven on earth. Purpose is fulfilled. I came in order that they may have life and have it abundantly. But the manifestation of the glory of that life. There is a living out of that life. Brothers and sisters, it's not theory. It should be reality in our lives individually. It should be a reality in our lives as a family. It's a reality of our life in the church. But are we willing to lay down our lives? Are we willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross? Let us uh, bow with a word of prayer. Lord, we commit these words back into your hands. Lord, the words of man are so limited. But Lord, we pray that you may continue to speak to us. Or may your will be done in our lives. Lord, may we be willing to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow you every day. Lord, we pray this and ask this in Jesus' precious name.